Oh, I don't want to start this off. Welcome, <laughs> welcome to another edition of the Lathic Grid podcast. Uh, this is your host, Bill Snow, and I think I'm going to rename this the Late to Podcast Show. Um, guys, I raced up from Alabama this morning, 10 and a half hours, was an hour late, but Kyle had some great flexibility. Then as we're recording, we had some technical difficulties. So I have Kyle Lockrow on the show tonight. He is going to share his motorsports journey with us. And uh, Kyle, it's great to have you here. Thanks for thanks for getting through this with me. No, no problem, Bill, and everybody with a late to late to late to podcast grid nation. <laughs> um, we're glad to be with everybody tonight. Thank you for letting me be a part of this, and um, pleasure to be here. Glad you made it home safe. That's the important part. Yeah, for sure. Well, um, you know what I want to go through is have you share a little bit more about your background and your racing and your advice and a little bit more about who you are with our listeners. So let's jump into it. Why don't you tell us who you are and what you do and what got you started in motorsports? Well, my name is Kyle Lockro. I'm 33 years old, originally from Southern Maryland, still actually living in the area. I still work a full-time job on top of all of the racing and instructing and every other job or jack of all trades, master of none that I'm a part of in motorsport. So <laughs> it's been a journey. I started later than most guys at 17 years old, but my passion for racing began at the age of seven. And it was thanks to the encouragement of my, I guess you could say my family that brought me up on Hanna-Barbera based cartoons, the Flintstones and Scooby-Doo when Cartoon Network and Turner Networks were sponsoring race cars with Diamond Ridge Racing and Melling Racing in the late 90s. And also the Montag family, who I went to school with their oldest son, Andrew, and their introduction to me with the NASCAR 98 game is what fueled the passion. And 10 years later, I jumped behind the wheel and we rolled from there. That's awesome. It's uh, it, it's really interesting what triggers somebody. And for you, it was Cartoon Network cars, right? It was. Um, I actually collect the old cartoons. I had such a passion for them growing up, and it was just such a great part of my childhood that when they started releasing, when Warner Brothers started releasing a lot of those classic cartoons, I still collect them because hopefully one day I could share them with my kids. So. Awesome. So what is your your car and motorsports background? When you did start racing, how would you first get into? What were some of the first racing uh, events that you did? Well, the first attempt we really made at this was a go-kart in 20, um, 2004, I'm sorry, when I was 14 years old. I, I tested an adult-based cart at King George Speedway in Virginia. We didn't really have the money to get me into racing, so I sat for another few years, continued to do sports in high school after an injury with my shoulder, breaking a collarbone and wrestling, kind of decided let's table the contact sports for a while and let's give this racing thing a shot so i got behind the wheel of a late model actually for the first time tested it at the now defunct old dominion speedway that was in manassas virginia and then from there i rolled into legends cars with uh, kevin yates and his team for a couple for quite a few years actually kevin really helped mold me and helped develop me i drove a, some modified like four cylinder cars a few times down in Coburn, Virginia at Lonesome Pine. And then from there started transitioning back into late models and into ARCA and some of the heavier cars. And then did a little bit of truck testing for a few people and have just tried to pave the way into opportunities. But the best thing that ever happened to me was Eric McClure, former NASCAR Xfinity driver, Bush Series and Nationwide driver at the time. He kind of helped mold my career and was always giving me advice, but he gave me the opportunity to get into at the time what was called Jump Car, which has now been rebranded as Champ Car Endurance Series. For the listeners that don't know what it is, it's an amateur version of the IMSA ranks. Essentially, we run the Enduros, 24s, 14s, double sevens, similar to what the IMSA guys do, but we do it at a lower, more cost effective level. And I say that lightly. <laughs> yeah. Are you still doing Champ Car? I am actually. I have fallen in love with it. I've been doing it for about seven years now, off and on. It's a way that's helped me honestly knock a lot of rust off when I've been out of the car for a little while. It's helped me gain confidence. It's helped me when I've transitioned back to the ovals. When I made my ARCA debut in 21 for the season finale and the Reese's 150, 
I felt so much better when I got back on the oval because the consistency and just the precision you need on those road courses, it, it made, I felt like it made me a better driver. And is that still with Eric's team? Unfortunately, Eric is no longer with us. He had some health complications that he, since his Talladega wreck in 2012, he just, I don't think he ever fully recovered. And there were a lot of other personal things that he was always dealing with. Um, He always kind of had a tough road to hoe, let's say, but Mm. he's a fighter. Um, God rest his soul. He was a great guy, great friend, great mentor. Um, Could always count on him for a laugh and um, some words of wisdom from the man upstairs. He was a very God fearing individual, but I transitioned to some other teams, but Eric is the one that really gave me that opportunity at Charlotte on the Aroval that day in 2016 in July. Um, it was quite a quite a opportunity to start in the back and be in the top 15 after about an hour and a half. So it was pretty cool. That little MR2 would uh, get after it. Oh, man, that is. Yeah. It was that a V6 swapped MR2. I want to say it was a four cylinder at the time, but I'm not really sure. I honestly just get in and drive them. I'm not great <laughs> at working on them. But about the only good thing I can do is change tires and put gas in it and maybe the oil. I got it. I got it. Um, well, let's stay on the champ car uh, for for a minute. What is your next race? What are you going to be doing? Well, we just finished up with the Brew Crew team, uh, which is out of Atlanta, Brew Crew Racing. They're a primarily BMW team. I've been off and on with them for about a year, about a year and a half now. I've run with a few different other teams, Average Joes. I've run with Race Bar a few times. A lot of people know them on the road racing side, even back with Lemons. But I've run for a host of different teams, but um, I've had some success with Brew Crew. Our next event will be the 24-hour, the Lifeline 24-hour Classic at VIR. And then after that, we'll do the doubleheader at Mid-Ohio. And then I just put a deal together to go back to Average Joe's for the second year in a row with Justin Garvin's team out of Florida. I'm going to run their car for the doubleheader on VIR North in the first weekend of December. So, Oh, awesome. Well, we'll probably meet up at Mid-Ohio because um, that's on our schedule to do. Yeah, looking forward to being able to meet up with you in person. Absolutely. I'm looking forward to it. I'm hoping we have a good weekend and hopefully you guys have one as well. Mid Ohio is uh she's a fickle beast, especially if we get any rain out there. Oh, for sure. <laughs> we have some new drivers on our team. So it'll be hopefully it's dry for their sake and the and those racing around them. If they ever um need any advice or if they kind of want just little nuances of mid Ohio, if they need any just a little bit, just Come grab me and I'd be glad to help them out. I would love to see them have a successful weekend. We need new blood in the series right now more than ever, especially to help the car counts. Yeah. So this is this is it's a good transition into something here. So you, you mentioned ARCA, you mentioned trucks, you mentioned um modifieds and late modifieds. You're a you're a driver that wants to go oval racing, mm-hmm. but you're looking for seat time. So tell the listeners why it's so important to have seat time, no matter where you want to go in racing. It's just like anything you do, whether you play football, baseball, basketball, I mean, whether you swim, whether you throw darts, which I do um, for fun, it's practice, practice, practice. It's right. I mean, getting on a baseball field is a lot easier than getting onto a racetrack. It, the cost is a lot less. The accessibility is there more so than it is to run a track or get equipment, especially nowadays with getting tires, depending on which brand of tire you run. So repetition is key. And when guys are charging 8,000 a weekend and the car store and some of these guys are charging 12 to 20,000 a weekend for a late model, I can get four hours of track time in a champ car for between 1,800 and 2,700 a weekend. You tell me, you tell me as the listeners, which one's the better deal. Everyone's going to be pointing the champ car. And the nice thing is we're running the same facilities on the road courses that they run in Xfinity. They run in truck, they run in Arca, they run in the cup series. And with NASCAR looking with the rumors of going back to Montreal and dipping back maybe to Mosport or looking at other avenues around the country for road courses, because it's very popular with the general public right now. And with the American public, they're seeing the V8 supercars, they're seeing the formula one coming over and stuff. So road course racing is taking off. So if you can get seat time on those tracks, 
And if you can run those higher speeds, you're, in my opinion, and this is my opinion alone, I feel like it does you a better service than a late model does because it teaches you the downshifting, the upshifting to be smooth in a car. I mean, a lot of, in the passing, you have to set up the passing. They don't tolerate a lot of beating and banging in champ car where on the late models, guys are totaling cars every weekend. And it doesn't mm-hmm. teach you a lot. It doesn't teach you how to take care of equipment. Good advice. So let's go back a little bit and let's talk about last year. And even if we need to go back into 2021, what are some highlights from those seasons? <laughs> well, it was um, it was interesting because obviously that, that was still during the height of COVID. We were just getting rolling, trying to figure out if the world was which way the world was going to go after that whole issue there. So 21 for me started out with a horrific run at Road Atlanta. Um, it was a memorable weekend, but it I, I was doing a friend a favor. And for anybody that was at the Champ Car Weekend in 2021 at Road Atlanta, it was an absolute, for all intents and purposes, it was just a complete crap show. We'll just put it that way. Um, the weather was bad. We were anticipating snow and it was cold. And they wadded up a bunch of stuff on the start, but I was driving a Dodge Dart for a friend that needed that it was had a new team and they were trying to shake a car down. The car was very ill prepared. It didn't need to be there, but I agreed to drive it. And I'll tell you the story. I, the car was so ill prepared and it needed to be parked because it just wasn't ready. I was in the, I knew the officials pretty well. So I was in there on my hands and knees on Saturday morning, begging them to park me. I said, I'll pretend to fight you on pit road. I said, I'll make it look good. I'll use the finger. You can kick me out of the track. I said, we can do whatever it takes to get me out of this car. And the guys that knew me, they knew it was bad because the, the rollover on the car was just so it needed upgrades before it raced. And I understand what the guys were doing and I commend their efforts, but they didn't really do themselves any favors. And even there was another driver that was supposed to drive and he actually refused to even get in the car for practice because he saw how ill prepared the car was. Um, But we got through it and it was, it was a learning experience to, but it taught me how to get through road Atlanta. It showed me the track. And later that year, I drove Road America. I did a double header up there. We had an awesome run um, two days in a row. I had a little bit of a rough day on Saturday. I had, was going through some stuff at home at that time and just wasn't there. Went back to the hotel, kind of cleared my head. Sunday came out of the box and we felt great. Um, we had an awesome run. And then as the season went on, I had a few different opportunities with different teams. I was doing a lot of instructing with NASA different clubs really just was trying to give myself any opportunity. I raced Atlanta motorsports park that year. I think I know we went to VIR a few times. I believe. And then I was starting to do some spotting as well on the NASCAR side and on the ARCA side and was involved at that point with fast track racing and Andy Hillenberg's operation. And at the end of the season, I got a call on Wednesday before the finale in Kansas. And Andy said, Hey, I need somebody to drive this fifth car. So we took the opportunity. We had a little bit of sponsorship money and we were going to go. The plan was to go all night, almost all night. We were going to shoot for halfway based on how the car was doing. We just, it was a fifth car. I was on an SB2. Everybody else in the field had an Elmore. I was on an SB2. We had a solid race that night. Uh, we were up in the top 15, but unfortunately the motor just gave us issues. Um, we were going to have a decent qualifying run, but the motor popped in the middle of it. We were lucky to get what we did. I learned so much that night. I really, that was a highlight so far in my career. And it rolled into some opportunities into 22 where I really got hooked up with Brew Crew. Road Atlanta was an awesome race a year later. We ran, we ran great in the flagship car that night and just ran a few other races later in the year. Excuse me, continued to spot for Bryce Hodgeberg um, with Andy's team. We then transitioned to another team that didn't work out, unfortunately, on the NASCAR side. Um, but just, you know, I still wish those guys well, just didn't didn't work out. We've now transitioned into 23 where opportunities for Champ Car are still there. Um, I've got a lot of great friends in that garage. We're now hooked up with G2G Racing, a Toyota operation out of Morrisville, North Carolina. 
Uh, Tim Vienz is the owner. Tim Slova, the crew chief, great guys. Really looking forward to finally getting behind the wheel with these guys. But really with the champ car, it's it's helped me garner opportunities. It's helped me get, get what I need to be successful on the other side. And when I move up, because I just feel like champ car offers me, you have to be the, you have to have your act together to perform on the racetrack because the competition's getting tighter and tighter every weekend. There's so many good teams in that series and they bounce between WRL and AER and all these other great series. And it's, I would love to go run those at some point still, but I just, I, I'm, I have a soft spot in my heart for champ car because it, it helped get me back going when I was going to give up. Wow. That's great. So the thing that's popping in my mind now is, is could, could Kyle go more road racing and more sports cars as opposed to ARCA, NASCAR, that sort of thing. Any thoughts there? Would love to do IMSA. One of the bucket list races in my, in my career, I would love to do is run a prototype in the Rolex 24 or run a GT car. Um, I fall in love with it. The first time I watched it in 2005, I remember Wayne Taylor at the sign, the SunTrust team with, uh, Manuel Collard and Angela, Max Angelelli and Wayne Taylor himself, a three man team wanted a prototype in a five. I remember that very vividly and just how smooth they were. And they were always up front every year, but I just, I fell in love with that race. And I, I remember there were so many IndyCar guys, NASCAR guys, there's so many guys from different, even champ car when it was at that point before the merger back together on the open wheel side, it, there were so many guys from other disciplines that came over and ran it. And since then, so many other drivers have done it. And I mean, you had Scott Russell come out of super bikes to come do it. And I mean, what it, that just speaks volume. So I would love to go do IMSA. There's a couple of teams that we're in discussion with about opportunities, but Unfortunately, in this day and age, um, it all comes down to the the almighty dollar. Your talent doesn't really mean a whole lot anymore. I mean, you've got to be able to stay behind the wheel, but your talent doesn't really garner you a lot of opportunities like it used to. And money's getting harder to come by because people are less willing to spend it. And especially in an economy that we have right now where there's a lot of unpredictability. We've got a market that's up and down every day. We've got just a questionable society at this point with just so many outlying factors that it's got people very gun shy right now. So, and I'm not against running IMSA. I would love to do it, but my heart is, I still have a soft spot in my heart for NASCAR. It's something I've been a big proponent of since I was a child. I want to race on Sundays with the best and the best. I want to be that guy that kids can look up to and want to be that one day. So I have no problem going over to do IMSA, but I still want to be able to dabble in the stock cars because I just feel like if you look at a Shane Van Gisbergen, uh, Gisbergen, SVG, well, I can't say his name either, like NBC. Um, <laughs> um, versatility is, is so key nowadays because you have to take advantage of every opportunity. And I mean, Shane's run at Chicago was evident. I mean, come over and do what he did in a stock car first time out. Yeah, there are similarities, but when you go from a right side drive to a left side drive and go from a paddle to a stick shift, it's different. And for me, that's why I try to dabble in so many different pieces of equipment and try to run so many different tracks because you have to be able to adapt very, very quickly and with limited practice. Hmm. So going back to some of the sponsorship stuff, is it safe to say that two drivers approach a team, equal talent, one's carrying a bag of money? The driver with the bag of money is probably getting the seat. Oh, uh, absolutely. 150%. Um, I don't care if this guy's won short track title after title after title, and he's been busting his hump for his life. Silver spoon little kid comes in with mommy and daddy's money and a blank check. Owner's going to drool all over him and got to, you know, the next question will be, can I get you caviar or, you know, (laughs) Dijon or whatever. So, right. I mean, I'm just being, I'm just being honest. I mean, that's kind of how it is now. I mean, if you come in with money, they're giving you whatever you want on a silver platter, but to be on the flip side of that, what you're hearing behind the scenes is, is how much they can't stand that kid because of their attitude and how much equipment they tear up. And when the guys are pulling 20 to 24 hours in the shop, having to fix mistakes because the kid doesn't know how to drive, 
it, you're not learning anything. You're going back and having to rebuild a notebook every week because you're not growing. You're not, and especially for a small team like us with G2G, we can't afford to have trucks torn up every week. We can't afford to have equipment getting beat up. We have limited resources. We don't have time in the wind tunnel all the time. We don't have time and a lot of access to seven bow shaker rigs. And we don't have access to Sims with Toyota or anything like that, to my knowledge. So, I mean, we have to take advantage of every opportunity. And if we do get those, they come with a price tag. So we need very trusting and let's say supportive sponsors that are willing to do that, but they also have to think about their bottom line and their employees as well. So it, it's kind of a catch 22, but if you've got a kid that's got a bunch of money and unfortunately, that's the business model that we've adapted in this sport. And until we say no and start turning that money away and we start taking chances on guys that work really hard and these companies take chances on guys like me who are, in my mind, I feel I'd be a great representative and marketing and an extension of an arm for your marketing program and who's not afraid to get in front of the fans who enjoys it we're going to continue to run into the same problem and you're going to have crew guys that are cycling in and out because they get no time with their families and they're overworked and they're pissed off for all intents and purposes. Yeah, I could definitely see that happening. So how do you approach that then? How much time are you spending per week smiling and dialing, building relationships, putting the plans together that some sponsor will take note and say, yeah, you know what, let's talk, let's do something. Most every hour of every day. It's something I wake up a lot of times at night trying to figure out. I feel like some days, what am I doing wrong? What am I not doing enough of? What can I do? Did I do enough for the sponsor last week? Did I spend enough time on the sim to prep for this race? How did I, did I do, did I carry enough speed through Oak Tree at VIR to get a good run and down the straightaway to set myself up? Did I overrun and put too much on the curb and stress a right front bearing or did I potentially spin the tires too much and snap an axle that kind of goes or potentially snap an axle later in a race that I put my teammate two hours later at risk at the end of the race that's a lot of what goes in my head every day and with the help of Tanya Banning my marketing director it's just us we are a two-man team trying to conquer the multi-million dollar enterprise that is NASCAR IMSA, and motorsports and we are trying to capitalize on the mistakes of others and the, let's say, war wounds that we've heard from sponsors that have been burned in other situations that they didn't feel like they got the most bang for their buck. So we're trying to adapt an old school approach, be approachable to the fans, be accessible to the sponsors, give them what they need, make their investment feel like they're getting a solid return but at the same time, make them feel like that they're part of it. It's a partnership. Yeah, they're not just cutting a check. The name goes on and then you bring a few people out, you shake a few hands and then you're not doing anything for them. You need to be constantly trying to figure out what is your goal? Where do you see your brand in six months? Where do you see your brand in two years? Where markets are you looking at jumping into? Where can we help you? What can our business to business relationship do for you? to help you? Are there any vendors that you're looking at trying to talk to that you would like to get out in a nice, comfortable environment and maybe talk some business, but have a beer over a race and things like that are things that we're always thinking of. I love that approach because um, we see it so often. Um, our company gets approached for sponsorships and it's the old adage. Well, hey, for 500 bucks, I'll, I'll put your logo on my quarter panel. Um, give me 200 bucks and I'll drive in the parade with candy, you know, with, with your name on my car. There's none of that value add. There's none of that, what you just talked about. Where do you want to be market-wise? What clients are you trying to attract? What are you looking to do? What are your business goals? Those are exactly the questions that drivers ought to be asking and teams ought to be asking so that a potential sponsor says, yeah, that, all right, we're talking the same language. How can we work together? And it's all about activation and engagement. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, getting to the tracks, getting behind the scenes, seeing the, the, the people interact with you and your car and the excitement and all that kind of stuff. So I'm, I love what you're talking about. It's that's, that's what needs to be talked about in our sport. Now I will give one side of this that the average fan doesn't see. And a lot of people don't understand this and you'll probably get this the minute I start dabbling into it. Um, I want to give a, a message out to these CEOs, these COOs, and these CFOs. 
if you want to do this, grow a pair and do it. You can talk all day long. I, I see you, you, you know exactly where I'm going with this. <laughs> I know this sounds very rude and very brash, but grow a pair. If you want to do this, cut us a check and let's do this. Take a chance on us. Give us a shot. Stop telling us you want to do this. You want to do this. You want to do this. And then the minute it becomes reality, the minute that you get ready to sign that check or you get ready to push that button to initiate that electronic transfer, actually do it and give it a shot. Yes, you may have been burned in the past. We're not the team you were with a year ago. We're not the team you were with last year. Give us a shot to prove ourselves. Take a chance on it. We understand you have a bottom line. We understand it. But if you want to do this and you want to grow your company, spend a little bit of money. We know this is a tough economy right now, but you know what? You still got a market. You got to find a way. You got to find somebody that's going to get people to spend money with your brand or your services or whatever it is that you have. Take a chance on us and let us prove that. But you've got to be willing to do that. And motorsports is the best way to do it. A billboard on 95 is great. A billboard at a football stadium is okay, but a rolling billboard that goes around the country and sees millions upon millions of fans and potentially even internationally is the best business to business marketing opportunity money can buy. And because everything that a football stadium or a team or a baseball team is offering you, we can do that and then some and put a cherry on top. So give us a chance to do it. Hit the button, take a chance on it, grow a pair, let us prove you wrong, but also know that there is time that comes with a return on investment. Let us prove it to you. It's not going to be an overnight thing. You have to understand that. We're in this for the long term, but you got to be too. And motorsports fans are the most, it's a word I'm most loyal. There it is. That's what I was looking for. They are. They eat, sleep. I mean, look at how many people are still wearing Skittles jackets, right? And M&M jackets. 5% in NASCAR are loyal to the brand of everything, whether it's motor oil, whether it's home improvement services, whether it is lawyer offices, whether it is drinks like these that people see, they are loyal to the touch, to the driver, to the team, to the brand, to the OEM, whatever it is, they will eat, sleep, breathe it. If it is Penn's oil versus Quaker State, if they're a Suarez fan versus a Logano fan, they're going with one of the two. Mm -hmm. That's right. That's exactly right. Well, let's talk about, uh, we're going to talk about your sponsors in a little bit, but um, let's talk about some motorsports advice. So what's the best motorsports advice you've received? <laughs> um, if you want to make a little fortune racing, start with a big one. Um, <laughs> uh, in all seriousness, though, the best advice I was ever given was Dave Mitchell. He was the former team manager with Rick Roy Racing back in the late, 2000s. Um, unfortunately, Dave, I believe, if I remember correctly, please um, don't quote me on this. I was trying to intern with the team at the time and become a development driver in 2011. Dave, I believe, had cancer, and I believe Dave lost his Dave lost his battle to cancer. Mm. He was a great guy. He ate, slept, slept, and breathed motorsports, but he was helping Rick Ware Racing continue to grow and continue to get better when they were kind of at a period where they were just trying to get back their legs back underneath them. And Dave told me, he said, the best thing that will make you successful in this business is be yourself, be a consistent driver and give it 150% every time you're out there because you never know when that next opportunity is coming. We were at Dover when I was told this in the fall race that year in 2011. And I remember that conversation. I remember Dave, I was standing at the pit box and Dave was up top with Rick and the crew chief, George Church, I believe. And he leaned over and just whispered and said, excuse me, and said that advice and said, be consistent. Look at these times. This is how you're smooth. This is how you be successful. And I never forgot it. That's great advice. Let's flip it around and let's, we'll make it specific to Champ Car. If somebody, somebody wants to take the step, maybe they're doing some track days and some HPDE events, maybe some stuff with NASA. And they're like, you know, I want to get into this wheel to wheel. I want to do some champ car. What advice would you give them to take that step from HPDE into wheel to wheel racing? Limit your time in NASA. It serves a purpose. It's a great series. They, they have a service, they have a development, but 
there's too much sprint racing in NASA and not enough longevity with endurance that teaches drivers the importance of saving equipment and teaches them the importance of smooth and consistent. They're more worried about turning a lap, making them excited and having them come back to the next event. They're not teaching them how to really pass. They're not teaching them how to set up a pass. They're not teaching them how to keep their eyes on five cars up. They're not, they're teaching you the bare minimum stuff that will keep you out of an accident up until a certain point. And I have a friend right now is essentially a teammate that I am trying heavily to convince him to get in a champ car to test his endurance. He wants to run it. We want to put a champ car team together ourselves. And I want to get him in a champ car so bad to get him out there and see what he can do for two hours. And I've tried to work with him on the sim about it. He is a heck of a driver and he's fast, but I want him to be consistent because I know he can be successful, but. NASA, I, the best thing for these guys is to test yourself, but get somebody and ask advice and figure out how to do it. Get a driver coach and get somebody that will give you the right advice. If somebody you don't feel like is giving you the best advice, go find somebody else. I do a lot of driver coaching myself. If anybody who does HPDEs or any of that kind of stuff, you want to know how to do it, give me a call. I will coach you. I will work with you. I have pricing available on my website. I am very affordable. I'm not going to break the bank. I want to see you be successful. It doesn't do me any good to break the bank and we work together one time. And it also doesn't do any good if you don't have money to go race and it kills car counts in a series. I want to make this a successful venture. I want to give back to drivers that want to do this. There's a young man out of Asheville. His name is Camp. He actually reached out to me about some advice. I'm working on trying to get him a ride for the VIR North race where he'll be a teammate to me in one of the cars. So he has to prove himself in a test prior to that. He has to get a little bit of seat time. We're working on that, but I'm working on with him with a sim, giving him advice, how to do it. I'm trying to bring new blood into this series. I'm trying to do this the old school way. I'm trying to help provide guys an opportunity to showcase what they can do because some guys won't give them the opportunity because they're more worried about getting a check from a guy who's 20 seconds off the base. Mm, yeah. Well, yeah, that's a great leading because I want to talk more about spotting and instructing and your coaching and stuff like that. So you did talk a little bit about the spotting. How has that helped you build relationships with other teams? And how has it helped you being a spotter maybe the next time you're at that track? It helps me because it gives you a new perspective. When you're the eyes in the sky, you look at the racetrack from a different perspective from when you're behind the wheel. A driver will see different things than a spotter will, but a spotter will see different things than a driver will. Driver has limited visibility in the car, but the spotter has limited visibility. You have to join together. You have to build that bond and that trust. Trust between a driver and a spotter is the difference between being in a 20-car wreck or getting through it and getting to the end of the day and having a good result. It really makes a difference. When I worked with Bryce last year at Daytona, we had just met that day. I went up on the spotter stand. I had never spotted a plate race in my or a plate opportunity ever in my lifetime. I did a lot of watching old races. Tanya would say, pick a car. I would spot. I listened to a lot of TJ Majors, Joey Meyer. I would listen to Timmy Fidua, a lot of guy, um, Jason Burgess with Andretti and Wayne Taylor, got, and even Jesse Vaughn, guys like that, guys that I know that are really, really good spotters um, that have been around a while. Um, Tony Hirschman is a good, another good example. Guys that know what they're doing and really just give great advice and are former drivers. Former drivers make the best spotters because they've been there. They know what the driver's going through in the seat. They know what you're looking at. They understand what to tell a driver. They know not what, what to not tell a driver, but they also know how to walk, talk a driver off a ledge. And they know how to build that bond because they understand it. And you have to help your driver. You have to trust him that he may see some, even if you call something and you're 150% sure he's clear. If the driver doesn't see something and doesn't move, you can't be, oh, why didn't you move? Why did he do this? He saw something you couldn't from a mile away. You got to trust your driver. I mean, it's it goes hand in hand, but the driver's also sometimes got to trust that spotter. Look, if I see a hole for you, you got to get your butt up there and you got to stay digging. So, 
it's really, you got to work together. And what I like about it is it's helped make me better because that's what I like to hear. I want to give guys what I want to hear. I'll make adjustments for a driver with what they need, but I want to give them that encouragement. We all get down on ourselves in the car. We need that uplift. And you're in a long two hour stint and hour and a half in you're, you're tired, you're worn out, may not be having a great stint. You need a spotter to get in there and say, all right, man, you're doing a heck of a job. Stay up on that wheel. Keep digging, go get him, go get him, chase him down. And that little bit of a pep talk makes all the difference. And I, and I spotted for Bryce four times last year and he was getting better. Unfortunately, they were just having some issues with that car that they kept taking. It just wasn't, wasn't properly clipped in my opinion it just geometry wise i think the car needed to be reworked it just was always tight and they no matter what they did they threw everything in the kitchen sink at it and they couldn't fix it so that told me it was an issue and bryce was getting down on himself and i kept saying bryce just keep digging it's not you it's the car we'll have to take it back to mooresville and get it fixed i mean just do your best but this is the when you have to learn how to dig deep and go get it and i've been there i've been in those cars with that that you don't want to be in or you're having a rough day and you got to figure out a way to make it work. And that is when you become a driver. Yeah. that I Thank you for sharing that perspective uh, between the driver and spotter. So important. And that, that pep talk, especially you guys, uh, you're doing the 24 hour, having that spotter or your radio guy, keeping you awake at night, keeping you focused, <laughs> reminding you what, that you're doing everything right. is going to be so critical. Um, I, I do want to talk about your coaching and your instructing too. Um, I, I want to hear if there's any funny stories or any scary <laughs> stories. It, have you done right seat instructing? Oh yeah. That's a lot of what I do. I've done a little bit, bit of lead follow, but I most of my instructing has been right seat. Um, one of the most fun experiences I ever had was right seating Steve Larson. He is at him and his wife, Jody and their son, Jake, they've become pretty good friends of mine and Tanya's as well. They live around the Richmond area. And I got asked to come to VIR last year, I believe it was when I met Steve, I was looking over for that confirmation nod. Mm -hmm. Um, So I believe it was last year and Steve was down. He was down on his luck. He was bummed out, just wasn't enjoying going to the track. And so I I met him and talked to him. I said, all right, here's what we're going to do. I said, get in the car, take a deep breath, drive how you normally drive. Let me see what you're doing. I'm not going to say a whole lot. Keep it on the pavement. Show me what you're doing. And then we'll go from there. I had never met him. I don't know what he's driving is. I can't tell him what to fix until I see what he's doing. So I get in the car with him. He's erratic on the brake. Jumps on the throttle a little too quick. He, he had a heavy BMW and he didn't know how to be smooth and just be consistent. So he comes in. And I said, all right, let's sit down, grab a water. Let's talk about it. I said, you can drive this thing. I said, but you got to back way off. And I love the NASA, but I swear to God, if they don't stop telling these guys to go down to the two and just stand on that brake pedal, I'm going to throttle every one of these instructors because it drives me nuts. That is not how you drive a race car. I'm sorry. That is how you get a qualifying lap in. You drive it down in there and you get it, you barrel it off in the corner for a flyer. You've got to learn to be consistent before you can put flyers. Down. And it just drives me nuts. I told Steve, back your corners up. You got a heavy car, buddy. You got to get that weight in that weight transfer. When I started explaining the weight transfer to him, I said, you get that weight transfer figured out and you're smooth on that throttle. I said, you'll be good. And I had to get him out of his head. He's a good guy, but he'd make one mistake and an instructor would start screaming at him. He'd drop a tire off. I'm like, keep going. Like, that's normal. Are you kidding mm-hmm. me? We all do that. Once I remember I worked with him from that first session and I just kept working with him. I used a lot of hand signals with him. I got him to take a deep breath. And that's another thing. You got to breathe. You got to keep a relaxed grip on the wheel. You've got to stay as loose in the car as you can. If you're tense, you're going to drive very erratically. On Sunday for the final session, he went out by himself. I got him soloed. And I was proud to say that because I a lot of people were writing him off. And you know what? I knew he had something in him. He just, I just needed to figure out a way to get it out. And I was proud of myself that I did. And he has gotten faster. He has become a better person. It turned his life around. His marriage got better with his wife, Jody. They were much happier. They, he had more fun. He started letting loose with his family. He was cutting up at the track. 
he was more laid back. He just, he became a completely different person. And I was so proud of it. And it was, and it just took one weekend to do that. And I kept working with him and we still stay in touch. And I'll probably go coach him again at some point this year, either at VIR or Summit Point. And he became friends. And that's what I love about it is you develop these friendships and these relationships through the instructing. And that's one of my favorite stories. So what we need to do is we need to have all the listeners take that segment that you just spoke about and play it for their wives and girlfriends. <laughs> it, it, our, our relationship will get better if I just get some on. Jody, Jody can attest, Jody can attest <laughs> to this. We've had, we've had some, some talks at the racetrack and you know how it is. And everybody knows like you just, you become family at the racetrack and, and let caution go to the wind. And she even said, but she felt better. And you could tell the difference where there was this tension and just, you could cut the tension with a knife. He would go up and they would just start picking at each other and they were smiling, laughing as he got closer. His son had a horrific accident a couple of years ago in a car and got pretty banged up. He got his son back in the car a couple of weeks ago for the first mm. time in a few years. And I think with what I did for him, it encouraged them. And he saw me work with Jake, saw me work with his dad. And I think it encouraged them to get back in the car. And I had kind of worked on him a little bit and told him, you can do this. I said, just start slow. And they said he did really, really well. So I think at some point I want to work with Jake as well. Oh, that's great. Uh, I want to talk about the coaching aspect, the remote coaching. For the listeners, help them understand how that can work. I mean, geographically, two different places, but how can you coach someone that you're not physically with? I racing. I use a lot of simulation because, I mean, in the, the technologically driven world we live in today, iRacing or a set of Corsa or R Factor, whatever your simulator of choice is, simulators are the way to go. Now, let me caution all of you that are listening please know you're not going to feel jack on the sim. And I don't care if you get all these butt kickers or you get this $50,000 sim that they swear has voodoo in it that shakes you and gives you the same sensation of turn forward Indianapolis. They can sell you that all they want. It doesn't give you the feel. It shakes you around, but it doesn't give you the feel of a pull of a G force. And it doesn't give you the feel of when that car starts to slide, when you brake too hard or when you, when you have to fix a miss messed up shift, let's say, or something like that. It's a familiarity tool for track awareness. It helps you get better with consistency by using your markers and working on getting yourself aligned to a facility. It doesn't necessarily get you used to a car. Yes, it, you can't feel what that car does. You don't feel the weight transfer. You don't feel the response and the input that car is giving your body that you make those reactions and adjustments to. So I, I commend the industry for what they're doing, but there's a reason why Sims have a purpose and they serve a good purpose. But if you rely too much on it, you'll lose the feel of a real race of a real race car. Got it. Um, well, that, that's a good segue into, I want to talk about how do people connect up with you and learn more about you? So we'll start with if somebody is interested in, in getting some coaching, uh, what's the best way to connect with you? The easiest way to find me is if everybody listening wants to go to www.kylelockrow.com. You can go right there. You can see everything that we have to offer as far as any potential partners. You can find out any about with photos, videos, any on-track action, where my next instructing event will be, racing, whatever we have going on. You can see it there. We stream a lot of the, the um, sim stuff that I do, whether it's a race for fun, or it's a coaching session. I stream them on Twitch occasionally. I throw them up on YouTube. Occasionally, I'll do a Facebook Live. Um, I'm going to dabble into the TikTok Live. I have a friend that's kind of encouraged me to do it a little bit. There's been some success with numbers, but obviously that'll be dependent on what the legislatures and everybody does with the with the, le the legality of TikTok, because we know that a couple states are already looking at banning it. One already has so we'll we'll ride that wave until the laws turn the other way. So that's the easiest way. Um, if anybody's interested in some coaching or wanting to get involved, you can find everything there. We can get you some pricing. Like I said, we're willing to work with you. 
I can do at the track. I can do on the sim. I have iRacing. That's the easiest thing for me just because of the assortment of tracks. Um, and really, if you're interested in partnering with us, you can reach out to Tanya Banning with the KLR Management Group. We have opportunities available with G2G Racing in the Truck Series. And I'm also aligned with Jeff McClure Motorsports, the number 44 car in the Arkham Menard series, the main series. And we have opportunities available for there as well. So if anybody's interested, we can dabble in multiple markets, Champ Car, IMSA, we can do it all. So we're definitely the way to go if you're looking to get your company out there. So, um, And we're going to put links to all of that information in this uh, episode's show notes. Is there anyone you want to give a shout out that's helped you recently, whether it be a sponsor or partner, but someone that's helped you get to the next level? I uh, Absolutely. There, we always have to do that. Um, I want to thank first and foremost, uh, MPI Innovations with Max Pappas, uh, his wife, Tatiana. Um, I want to thank uh, Bobby and Dalton in the office. Dalton, I know the little hellion three-year-old's got to be running you through the ringer right now, buddy. Um, wish you well with the terrible threes. Um, I want to thank uh, everybody in Alpine Stars for coming on board, um, helping out there. They've been great since we started that partnership. Motorsports Mafia, NW Audio, Bright Sky, Bright Sky Creative with uh, Jamie and her staff, Midcoast Estate Sales with Lee Figueroa, TMI Racing Products, Don Frady. Don, miss you, buddy. Start Imagining with Steve and Alex uh, Husick. They do great hero cards and marketing materials for anybody that's interested. Um, NNSCRA uh, Paint Designs, they do a lot of our uh, mock-ups, Seth Cole and his staff. Moore's Automotive Sales out of Daytona, Florida. Devin's Deals with uh, David White. The Kyle Locker Racing Experience with Play Live Nation of Strongsville, Ohio. Uh, Jeff, Lana, hope you guys are doing well. Uh, I want to thank Randy LaJoy and his wife. Um, and Lisa with the joy of seating. <laughs> it's been a long day. I apologize. Um, I want to thank Big Red Custom Diecast, Justin Balliott. Um Arjun and his staff at UUC Motorworks. Um, I'd like to thank Team Ant-Man, Jay Sawyer with Voice Master Limited, Greg and Kathy Reynolds with Home Services um, Restoration, where we turn disaster into happily ever after. I want to thank Samuel Getachew with NLA Parts, Bill and Vicki Fisher with Garage Heroes and Training, and last but not least, um, Jim Dore and everyone with Mid-Atlantic Source One. If you need any IT fiber needs for infrastructure, give them a call. That is impressive. So some listeners are probably saying, oh my gosh, why do I have to listen through all that? Here is the point, folks. It takes a lot of people to get you to the next level in motorsports. And I had a guest on recently. I'm going to have to dig up who it was. We talked about getting to the next level. That's what it takes. It takes multiple relationships, multiple partnerships, uh, and, and you got to keep those warm and constantly benefiting one another. So Kyle, that's an awesome list. Thank you. Yeah, we we I'm very proud of it. Um, a lot of these are very small partnerships that started with product sponsors. They're starting to go the other way, which is nice because we've been with them for a little while. Um, they've been very patient with us through the trials and tribulations of the up and down with certain teams and kind of missing opportunities on track with the stock car side. But um, they've been great with Champ Car and in the small opportunities we've gotten in every capacity. So um, I'm honored to be working with them. Glad that they trusted me to uh, represent their brands and we're going to move forward and we're going to make something out of this hell or high water. Heck yeah. Well, we've come to the last question of the show. Have you ever been late to grid? Uh, a couple times, uh, definitely, especially NASA. I've been late to grid because I had to use the bathroom, been late to grid because <laughs> I was instructing and then was supposed to test the friend's Miata. And was almost late to wasn't late to grid for my first arca start though thankfully because that'll result in a fine just so you know as you guys that are coming up through the ranks if you miss drivers meetings and if you miss any type of introduction for their show that makes them look bad you will get a fine and slapped on the wrist wholeheartedly so um time management is a big key when you get into uh auto racing wow save some money do not be late to grid <laughs> exactly they take that military time seriously. Five minutes late is five minutes early is late at that point. 
Well, Kyle, it was great having you on. I, I really enjoyed this episode. You shared so much great information. I'm sure this is going to be one that gets listened to over and over again as people continually find new nuggets. So we wish you well this season. I do hope to meet up with you in person at Mid-Ohio at the Champ Car Race. And thanks again for being on the Late to Grid podcast. Bill, thank you. Everyone with Late to Grid Nation, thank you guys so, so much from the bottom of my heart. Um, please go to my website. We'd love to hear from you. Love to stay in touch with fans, any businesses, anybody out there that's uh, listening. If you'd like to get involved in our program, we'd love to have you. We have a lot of different opportunities at different levels. We are different than everybody out there. We have an old school approach. Let's do this together. Let's grow from the bottom and go to the top. I want to thank all of you guys. It's a pleasure. Looking forward to meeting you. We're definitely going to meet up at Mid-Ohio um, and catch up and, and share stories over the weekend. And please, that I had that offer for your drivers. Um, please do not hesitate to grab me. I want to see them have a successful weekend. I would love to be racing side by side with you guys for a victory come Saturday or Sunday. Awesome. I want to thank Kyle for being on the episode and for sharing so much information. I can't believe how much stuff we covered and it's all great. And this is probably an episode you're going to want to re-listen to just to get some of those great nuggets that Kyle shares. Before I let you go, I want to say thank you for being a listener. It is great being out at the track and people talking to me about the podcast or some nugget that they learned from one of our previous guests. That is awesome. And my goal with the podcast is to share that information that helps grow grassroots racing. Speaking of racing, you need tires, and I have an awesome offer for you. It is with Track Day Tire, and you go to trackdaytire.com. You shop for the Extreme Contact Force Tire from Continental. It's a 200 tread wear tire. It looked great after our endurance race. I put over two hours in one stint, and they hardly looked worn. Lap times, extremely consistent. Wet weather handling is superior. Here's how you get the offer. Go to trackdaytire.com. Shop for the Continental Extreme Contact Force tire that fits your vehicle. Put four of them in the cart, but before you pay, enter a promo code SNOWVIP, that's S-N-O-W-V-I-P. One of those four tires then becomes free. The shipping is fast. They put it in boxes. There's a sticker in the box, and the shipping is very inexpensive. These tires are great. You're going to love them. Don't take my word for it. Do some research. Talk to people at the track. You're going to hear the exact same thing. I want to thank our show sponsors, Atomic Autosports, LMS EFI, and ETC Coaching. Go to the show notes. There are links to all of their websites and social media handles. Great people that make this program possible. Do me a favor. Actually, do me two favors. One is tell a friend about the show and don't be late to grid.